Welcome to Tentpole Trauma, the podcast where we look at movies that came with hype and high hopes, but left with crushing disappointment, either critically, at the box office, or both. Freed from the weight of expectations, we seek to examine these underperformers under a new light, parsing through the good, the bad, and everything in between with the hopes of gaining a better understanding as to why they failed to find their audience. Warning, there will be spoilers, so if you haven't seen the movie that we're discussing today, I suggest you stop the podcast and go watch it. Then when you come back and listen, you'll get more out of the discussion. On this episode, we discuss Donnie Darko. Sebastian and I am here with Jennifer. Hello. We are doing a Just the Two of Us podcast. Just the Two of Us. We have some busy lives these days <laughs> and we figured we would just do something easy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but of course, fate had other plans for us and uh, we've had audio difficulties. So this has turned out to not be an easy <laughs> podcast. Nope. But we're going to soldier on because... We believe in bringing you content every week. <laughs> That's right. And we're going to have a good time. We're going to have such a good time. <laughs> because this episode, we are discussing Donnie Darko by Richard Kelly. This might be a little bit of a controversial pick because tentpole trauma generally focuses on movies that were big budget disasters and while Donnie Darko when it was released in 2001 was definitely a flop it cost nine million dollars and it grossed only a little over one million dollars so big loss of investment there however being a nine million dollar movie kind of disqualifies it a little bit from being a tentpole movie. I don't think anybody was expecting Donnie Darko to hold up a studio. <laughs> no, I, I don't think they were either. But it definitely was a commercial failure and had critical success. Yes, and it especially went on to become a cult classic. But here's why I think we can kind of justify this a little bit. Okay. That is because Richard Kelly got some heat off of Donnie Darko being such a cult hit that he went on to make Southland Tales, mm -hmm. which was a big budget disaster, which had like The Rock in it and like Sean William Scott or something. And that movie had a much larger budget and was a big commercial failure. But that movie is terrible, and I don't like it at all, and I wouldn't want to discuss it. So I'd much rather discuss Donnie Darko. He also uh, did The Box, which I did see in the theater. I saw The Box. I don't think I saw it in the theater. Mm -hmm. 
It's also a pretty bad movie. It wasn't so great, yeah. I think the thing that we're going to have to sort of reconcile with Richard Kelly here is that he had one great movie in him, and this was the great movie. In fact, he released a director's cut of this movie, which I think ruins the movie. Well, that's funny that you should say that because I think I'm actually more familiar with the director's cut. When I was watching the theatrical version today, I was like having some things that were like, I, I've seen Donnie Darko a, a lot, mm-hmm. um, but I'm realizing that I think I saw the director's cut first and I think I actually have the director's cut on DVD I don't remember which one we have on DVD I think it's the director's cut I'm pretty sure you know how you can tell the difference because it says director's cut on the cover well that and also (laughs) you can tell it in the movie immediately because the beginning the song right in the director's cut when Donnie is riding his bike back to the house it's not the killing moon I know it is Never Tear Us Apart. I know. By In Excess. Yes. Which is a great song. However, I feel Killing Moon is so much better in that scene. I don't know. You could go either way. I really could because I like both of those songs very much. Well, we're not debating the merit of the songs. <laughs> we're debating whether or not they fit well in that scene. Well, having more familiarity with the director's cut I you know I don't I don't have a problem with never tear us apart I think the killing moon works very well also but with the, the theatrical version I feel like you get more in the beginning also than what we get in the director's cut for some reason I mean I know the song is different but I think it's also a little different at the beginning as well anyway there's there's a lot of a lot of little subtle differences throughout yes and while i cannot speak to what is different because i just don't hold the movie in my head that well (laughs) it's like 20 minutes longer Mm -hmm. so there's probably a lot more in there in a lot of different scenes to your point Mm -hmm. but i don't know what it is i can't comment on what it is we didn't watch both cuts i don't think i could stand to watch both cuts we only watch the theatrical because that's the one i like I do remember one other thing that's different, and it's with one of the scenes with um, Catherine Ross, where he finds out that the pills he's been taking are placebos. He, like, learns what placebo is. I totally remember yeah, that. Yeah, so I remember that being something else that kind of stands out. But, yeah, other than that, I mean, it's 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 not that different. I think that's just a lot of extended scenes. A little scenes ex- extended scenes, yeah. But we're totally speaking from a place of ignorance because we did not watch the director's cut, and so... I'm going on my memory. Yeah. Oh, which well. you know how well that works. Yeah. <laughs> Loyal <laughs> listeners will know how great our memories are it's when it comes to movies that we've just, just watched. watched. That we've just watched. Well, I was trust me, when I was watching this now the theatrical version i was thinking at certain parts i'm like yeah we're really gonna fuck this up yeah (laughs) this movie is going to be extremely easy to get wrong linearly because it is a very loosely structured movie there isn't a lot in the way of plot and that is not to say that is a bad thing but i think we need to approach this impressionistically Mm -hmm. because I think the film is sort of impressionistic and warrants a more loose discussion. Oh, let's get loose. Now, the first thing I'll bring up is that this was the first time I ever saw Jake Gyllenhaal. This was his first major starring role. And I would say this movie pretty much made him a star. Would you agree? I would agree, except it was not the first time that I had seen Jake Gyllenhaal because I did not see Donnie Darko in the theater. I mean, like I said, I think I saw the director's cut first, and I think that came out like much later, like in 2003 or 2004 or something. It came out in 2004. Right. So that might have been the first time I saw the film. But in between those times of 2001 and 2004, I did see a film in the theater called The Good Girl. And uh, it's actually, it was it's good. It's Jennifer Aniston and Jake Gyllenhaal. And it's a dark comedy about Jennifer Aniston who's having an affair with a much younger man. And he's kind of like 
modeled after Holden Caulfield and it's really dark but it's it's pretty good it was an indie film so I, that was my first exposure to Jake Gyllenhaal yeah I didn't see this in the theater either but I think I saw it on video pretty soon after it was released I mean not many people saw it in the theater it only made a million dollars I'm sure there were people that I knew that were like oh I saw this weird movie Donnie Darko but I definitely didn't see it in the theater. And I mean, I was like, the title was Donnie Darko. I know, I know. I'm like, what the hell is a Donnie Darko? Yeah. The image that was most commonly promoted was that of Frank the Rabbit, mm -hmm. which was cool. I mean, yeah. Frank the Rabbit is cool. It's got this uh, sort of chrome skull bunny face with crazy ears mm -hmm. and like a feety pajamas style suit. Definitely striking character design. But also I was just like, huh? Is that Donnie Darko? Yeah, it, it wasn't very clear as to what was going on. Um, I did read that because I was wondering, I'm like, what bunny suit is this? Like, because it looks like a kind of demented bunny, you know, and, and it was reminding me of that segment of Twilight Zone, the movie where the, with the boy who like could wish for anything that whole thing and there's like one part where there's like this crazy rabbit that he like uh, his uh, I think it's Kevin McCarthy like pulls out of a hat it was that's that's kind of what it was reminding me of but it's actually based on um, Watership Down ah. that fun fun story <laughs> that kinder trauma well not kinder trauma heartbreaking story that we were exposed to as youngsters which is also in the director's cut ah. so there's like you know, that's kind of where they tied that in. It reminds me of the bunny costume that Ralph gets in A Christmas Story that his yeah. aunt sends him. Right. Only that didn't have a frightening face on it. Right. But it's yeah. that kind of style of pajama Feet. suit. Yeah, the whole, the whole suit. Yes. So yeah, Frank the Bunny was sort of the main image that was promoted of this movie. But back to Jake Gyllenhaal, this was definitely the first movie I ever noticed him in. And I thought he was pretty good in the movie. I thought he really carried the movie, which was impressive for seemingly such a young actor. I'm mm -hmm. not sure how old he was at the time, but he really left an impression. I think he left an impression on the world because he really started to work a lot after this, and he became pretty much an A-list star. I remember when Tobey Maguire almost didn't come back for uh, Spider-Man 2, Jake Gyllenhaal, I think, was like dating Kirsten Dunst at the time, and they got Toby to sign on again because they were like, well, we'll just get Jake Gyllenhaal to be <laughs> Spider-Man then. He didn't like that. Toby came running back. <laughs> and it's funny because he ended up playing Mysterio in one right. of the Spider-Man movies, so he got in there. Which is also great. How do you feel about Jake Gyllenhaal in this movie? I think he's great. I think he is the movie, really. Um He's such a, a complicated character. I love the scenes with his real life sibling, Maggie. I think that was great to cast her as a sister. And I mean, like right off the bat in the beginning, like, you know, we, we, we're in 1988 in the fall and, you know, we're having this family dinner and, and like his sister just like going for it. Like it's just he calls her a fuck ass. Or something yeah. like that. Or, 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 yeah, there's like a whole like just slew of, and it's such like teenage like bickering, just coming up with these ridiculous like swears at each other. Cause she calls him a fuck ass. And then like, and there are little sisters there too, who's probably like, I don't know, 10, something like that. And I really like the parents also. I just think this movie was very well cast. I think it's good. The, the dad, I don't recall ever seeing him in anything else other than this that I can recall, but he seems like he would fit very well in like Twin Peaks or something. He's got like such a good character face and just kind of there's kind of feels like there could be something sinister going on there just with his not that he his character is that way at all, but just his face. You know, he's got like this this very um, unique face. Yeah, I could see him being in a David Lynch right? movie or something. And we've got Mary McConnell mm -hmm. as the mom from Dances as Wolves. She was also the president in Battlestar Galactica, the 2000s show, which I watched. And, I mean, she's in a ton of stuff, and she's always great. Scream 4, I believe mm -hmm. she's in. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, she's really good. Uh, the little 
sister is really good. I don't know if she ever went on to do anything. I don't think I she kind did. Of, I've kind of, I mean, yeah, she looks, she looks familiar. I think she's popped up and stuff. The little sister, Samantha Darko, is Davia Chase. I believe it's Davy. Davy? Yeah. Davy Chase. I think oh, she yeah. Has you know who she stuff. is? We, she did go on to do other things. She's Samara in the ring. Ah, that's a claim to fame. It sure is. It was shortly thereafter. Good for Davy. Mm-hmm. Uh, other notables in this cast, Seth Rogen plays a sort of minor part as like a bully. We also get uh, Cutie Pie Jenna Malone mm-hmm. as Donnie's love interest. We get Patrick Swayze in a pretty prominent role. And of course, we have Drew Barrymore as a teacher. And Drew Barrymore's production company, Flower Films, was main production company of the movie she was really the reason why the movie got made richard kelly had graduated from film school back in 97 and for that five-year period or whatever he was really working towards making this movie and she was pretty much the catalyst she read the script and really liked it obviously she wanted to play a part in the movie and so yeah that's how it got made it's really drew barrymore who deserves the credit yeah, he had said something along the lines, if it wasn't for her, this would have gone like straight to video or stars or something like that. It would have not had like a, a been a feature film. Also, there's Noah Wiley, mm-hmm. the never made it to leading man status character actor who was on ER, I yeah. believe. Mm-hmm. I think he's great in this. I think he's fine as as the, the science teacher. And then also uh, character actor Beth Grant who is, you've seen her in everything, and she is the Sparkle Motion coach, the gym coach, I think, or gym teacher for the school, and she's um, also obsessed with Patrick Swayze's character. Yes. In this. Um, but, yeah, she, she shows up on a lot of stuff, kind of playing the same type person, kind of Bible thumper, terrible lady. <laughs> yeah, this sort of defined her career as a character actor. Mm-hmm. I feel like casting directors were like, let's get the Donnie Darko woman. Let's talk a little bit about the plot as much as we can without (laughs) worrying too much about what happens chronologically, because this movie is sort of a weird loop anyway. So let's just not worry about chronological order, (laughs) shall we? Let's just throw caution to the wind. Donald Darko is our main character, as played by Jake Gyllenhaal, and he is having trouble as a young man in high school and i believe they are supposed to be in virginia although the movie is very clearly uh, shot all around los angeles Uh, he's having behavioral problems he has recently burned down somebody's house but we're introduced to him he's waking up on a golf course and he's having some sort of episodes where he's I don't know, sleepwalking or sleep riding his bike or whatever he's doing. And he's hearing this voice uh, of Frank that is telling him that he has 28 days or something before the end of the world comes. And so this is going to be sort of the central idea that is driving the plot, if we want to call it the plot. You know, this is sort of Donnie's thing that he's wrestling with. He's been told this prophecy that the world's going to end he suspects that he's going to die and that's sort of what's driving the narrative so to speak but really that's just kind of one thing that is running through this coming of age story that is also just kind of dealing with a lot of 80s nostalgia before it was cool to Mm -hmm. do 80s nostalgia i think this was ahead of the curve in that regard and, you know, we're getting some really great new wave songs in mm-hmm. the soundtrack. The soundtrack is perfection. Yep. I mean, I think the theatrical cut more so than the director's cut. But we've got Killing Moon by Echo and the Bunnymen in here. We get Tears for Fears, Head Over Heels. Then we get a cover of Tears for Fears, Mad World, which is really great. Just super super great soundtrack we also get the church we also get joy division it's nonstop. and the tears for fears uh segment is 
one of my favorite montages, so to speak, or what do you want to call it? It's like an, you know, an introduction kind of to the school. It's a montage. It's a montage, right? Yeah. Yeah. I just, I could watch that on its own. And I have, because it's on YouTube or whatever. It's just perfect. And it's just all these little details. Like you're saying, it's, you know, they were doing nostalgia before it was cool, but they're also not overdoing it. It's definitely, you can tell it's 1988 because, you know, they're talking about at the dinner table, they're talking about um, Elizabeth, which is Maggie Gyllenhaal's character, the older sister who is established that she's 18 because she's talking about that she's going to vote for Dukakis. That's a a point of contention in her family. And, you know, they're obviously Republican. And, and, you know, so that's coming up. And then the the music, of course, is, is... cueing to that time it's not like the wedding singer where right. it's doing comedic 80s everything right. super exaggerated it's more true to how the 80s was yeah. people who weren't alive in the 80s probably have a picture in their mind of what the 80s looked like exaggerated yeah and it's a very exaggerated picture not everybody was dressing like michael jackson no. or it wasn't all like neon and especially at this point because this is the late 80s this is this i think it was smart too to have like them going to a Catholic school because, yeah. you know, it's just uniforms as well. And then like when you do see them in outside of school, it's just kind of there's like a Halloween scene. So there's costumes there as well. But then in between, like what Donnie's wearing is is very believable. It's just it's not for somebody who doesn't give a shit about fashion, obviously, too. It's like what a regular kid would wear. It's not all I can keep coming up with the word is exaggerated, but Back to the montage of uh, Tears for Fears is we get, you know, this like side view of the back door of the bus, which is like the emergency exit or whatever opening. And in, and someone's like written in the the dusty window of the bus, like, you know, go mongrels or whatever, because that's their school mascot or something like that. And yeah, it's just just right to the ding, 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 you know, and they're just like, it's kind of in slow motion at first, and then it will like speed up and you're getting to see going the point of view from different students going through and like all the stuff that's going on. And that's when you see Seth Rogen's character and he's like doing a bump and, you know, you get to see Kitty Farmer, the gem teacher, and she's scowling at somebody and you're just, it's just, it's really just really great filmmaking. Yeah, and you see the principal kind of looking over his shoulder, yeah. like, Ugh. <laughs> and yeah, it's really awesome. It's it's a really perfect yeah. sequence. And the kids are just kind of, it's all you know, it's it's all the only sound you're getting is is head over heels. So you get like just so much expression in everyone's faces. Like the kids are like flicking each other off or like making faces at each other, and and you see we get to see Jenna Malone, and she's kind of primping in her locker and. You're just getting a real good overview of the kids at school. And you're, oh, yeah. And also Samantha Darko is like practicing her sparkle motion routine. Yeah. And you see Drew Barrymore, who's one of the te- the English teacher. And she's kind of rolling her eyes at like these little girls that are like shaking their butts. You know, it's just like such a it's such a time capsule and such a great introduction to to all of this. Yeah, if you've never seen Donnie Darko, and you probably have, but if you've never seen it, you owe it to at least watch this sequence. Yes. Because it's really, truly great filmmaking. Agreed. Let's talk a little bit about the school stuff. I think this is the fun, funny part of the movie. Um, This movie definitely has two tones. Mm -hmm. Uh, One tone is sort of a black comedic tone. And then there's this other sort of surreal horror tone. Mm -hmm. And it's pretty miraculous that it manages to encompass both those tones without feeling off kilter. Like, I have to give it to Richard Kelly that the movie really does sort of gel, even though it shouldn't. I would agree. Um, I think it also has in the in the horror surreal tone also um it's got i mean it's got a mystery going on as well because you're you're trying to figure out the time portals and you know all of this with time travel and there's that that whole element going on and the surrealistic the sci-fi that i enjoy which is somewhat rooted in reality and yeah then the blackest of black comedy which 
it's succeeding there as well. And we're introduced to the classroom of um, Drew Barrymore's character. And she is, you know, talking about this book. It's called The Destroyers, I think is what it is that they were talking about. And it's, you know, about these kids that break into an old man's house. And there is money there, but they decide to go ahead and burn everything down. Well, it's funny because we just happened to watch The Dark Knight last mm -hmm. night, and I was struck by the similarity in theme. And what they're talking about there is that these teenage boys break into this old man's house and they find this money there, but they don't take it. They burn the money just because they want to burn it. They just want chaos. Like the Joker just like wants Joker. to, some people just want to watch the world burn. Yeah, the Joker yeah. literally burns a big pile of money, money yeah. in the Dark Knight. So I was kind of like, huh, interesting uh, thematic similarities. <laughs> but I mean, you know, he's talking about chaos and stuff like that. I mean, the philosophical stuff that's going on here, and there's a lot of it, I feel is just kind of everything he wants to sort of grapple with. I'm talking about Richard Kelly, yeah. the director. And I mean, it's just a miracle that the movie works because there's just so much shit going on in here. I'm sure there are people who are smarter than me who have watched <laughs> this movie a ton of times and can go through it and be like, no, well, this is pertaining to this and this connects to this. But your experience of watching the movie is this stuff doesn't all necessarily all completely fit together. It just feels like a bunch of stuff that he wants to sort of throw out there. Well, yeah, but I feel like it's in regards to this book, it was Graham Greene was the, the writer. I think it's relative to Donnie's actions for sure. And maybe even, you know, some of his philosophy, I could see him lining up with that as well. But it also becomes a thing that ultimately Drew Barrymore's fired over because they're trying to ban the book because of actions that happen that they feel that are direct, you know, which was also very, not that it still doesn't happen now, but also very 80s, you know, of like the the Tipper Gore and all, you know, the, all of the censorship of music and, and banned books in general, that which have been forever. But, you know, it's, it's a think of the children and all of that, you know, they're going to be influenced to do bad things. Well, and also to your point, yes, it relates to what Donnie has done because he's been breaking into houses. We're going to yeah. see him break into a house later on and mm -hmm. set it on fire. But also the scene with Kitty is her mm -hmm. name. Kitty Farmer. She's talking about the Patrick Swayze's character's philosophy yeah. and how everything is either fear or mm -hmm. love. Mm -hmm. And she's asking everybody to look at a card and there's like a little thing on the card that's like, Julio yeah. said to do this and whatever. These examples of things and people are supposed to go up to this timeline and put an X on the timeline, how close it is to love or fear. And Donnie's like, this is ridiculous. You can't just say that everything is either love right. or fear. There's all these other factors that are going into it. And, you know, she just wants to break it down to these this simple binary. And I think that's kind of what the story is speaking to is that, you know, there, there's chaos. There's right. you can't just order the universe into two things. You know, it just doesn't work that way. I totally agree. And I also I meant to tell you the whole fear and love thing, like the way that they're just like trying to break it down into these two things, like felt very much like the preachings of Charlie Manson to me. Like that's like everything is about fear and love and, you know, death and all. It just it's so it's it's nonsense. Well, and I think that the whole idea of this scene, as great as it is, is kind of nonsense. Like it doesn't really make sense that this teacher would be teaching this like self-help gurus philosophy in class like you never get away with that in school like there's a lot of stuff that happens in this school and i'm not offering this as a criticism but it logically doesn't track like the whole uh, patrick swayze character they like invite him to the school and he's like talking to the students and stuff and like they don't bring self-help gurus to high schools to talk to high school kids. You know, it's it's a lot of illogical things that are kind of going on. You don't think that stuff like that happens? 
Maybe. But they're like in a Catholic school yeah. or something. Jesus should be the answer for everything. I know. You don't bring yeah. in some self-help guy. That's like True. the devil. <laughs> it's not a criticism. No. Sometimes when I'm watching the movie, I'm like, well, this, this doesn't really make sense. And in just that Drew Barrymore is teaching the destroyers in a high school English class, you know, it's all a stretch is all I'm saying. But it works. It definitely works for the story and it needs to be there. The inciting incident of the story is when a engine of an airplane crashes on the Darko family home. It crashes right into Donnie's room. Luckily, Donnie has been sleepwalking, so he's not there. But we see Maggie Gyllenhaal come home, I don't know, from a date or something, and she's kind of flush from the date. And we see the dad in the living room, like, watching TV. He's asleep. He's falling asleep in front of the TV. It's now, like, midnight or something because they show the clock on the wall. So it's it's late. Yeah, and so this plane engine crashes in through the roof. Thankfully, Donnie's not there. It's funny because they show the family all sitting around the next morning while they're watching this engine being pulled out of their house. And, you know, FAA guys are hanging around looking like the men in black, you know, trying Mm -hmm. to, like, placate them with free hotel rooms or whatever. And then Donnie just comes walking up and they're like, oh, there's your brother. Yeah. Like they weren't worried that he might have been home and in bed? Well, I think they've established that because his mom, who he doesn't have a good relationship really with anyone in his family. There's a scene where he his mom comes into the bedroom and he's just like, you know, get out. I'm reading. You know, it's just not not good. Things are not good in his between he and his his parents or siblings. It's he's going through some stuff. But um, his mom says, you know, like, where do you go at night? So I think they pretty much are betting that Donnie has disappeared again at night. And you know, he's sleep peddling or walking or whatever he's doing. But it's also part of the black comedy element too of like, you know, it's not no one's really concerned. Oh, there's your brother. He's okay, I guess. Yeah, and so how this sort of factors into the big mystery and loop is that by avoiding it, he sort of avoided fate. He's tricked fate. He was fated to die in his bedroom by being hit by this engine. But because he was out for whatever reason, now he's kind of in this weird temporal offshoot, I guess you would call it, where he shouldn't be alive Mm -hmm but he has to sort of reckon with his own destiny. And there's a lot of sort of special effects that we get while Donnie is in this sort of fugue state that he is in through various points in the movie. Uh, He's usually sort of talking to Frank, who is played by James Duvall, but is actually in the bunny suit most of the time, which is a good thing because I think James Duvall is not a terribly good actor, but I think he is used pretty well in this. James Duvall to me has always been low budget Keanu Reeves. (laughs) And it's like Keanu has already had some pretty low points as an actor. And so then, you know, you get James Duvall, who's the budget Keanu and not good, but he's good in this. I think he's great in this. But yeah, so we get some special effects. Like at one point, Donnie starts seeing these tubes that come out of people. Yeah. He calls them spears, but they're kind of like these water tubes. Mm -hmm. They look a little bit like the uh, water tube creatures in the abyss. Mm -hmm. What it is basically is the people's path that's being laid out before them. It's like you see it coming out of their chest and then they sort of follow after it as they, you know, go to the kitchen Mm -hmm. or, you know, go upstairs. It's this idea of how he can sort of see people's destinies playing out in front of them. Yeah. And, you know, this coupled with he is seeing a um, psychologist and he's on meds, but we find out at the beginning he stopped taking his meds. So, you know, there we also have the my favorite unreliable narrator as well. It's like how much of this is really happening? How much of this is maybe him having an episode? Because his psychiatrist, who's played by uh, Catherine Ross, has told his folks that, you know, he's kind of having um, visions while he's awake 
like what happens to people that are suffering with schizophrenia. Yep. Is this what's going on? Who knows? There's also with the plane that's unaccounted for. Like they never find out where the plane is. But as we go full circle towards the end, his mom and sister are on the plane, which I think we are to assume the jet engine falls off of that plane or they just hit turbulence. I have questions yeah. about this for sure. <laughs> I've always kind of wondered about that. It's also doing, thank you, a voiceover of we're getting Noah Wiley telling him again after because he's become close with Noah Wiley, the science teacher, and talking about time travel. And he gives Noah Wiley gives him this book that Roberta Sparrow has written about the philosophy of time travel. And she is who they refer to as Grandma Death. And she's this really old woman, which just actually was her final film, the, the actors. So she she was probably really old at the time. Um, and, you know, she is this lady who had been a teacher at the school. Apparently she had been a nun and then she found science and left God and then had become a teacher at the, the school and written this book on time travel. And now she's this kind of this recluse who's kind of wandering around and goes to her mailbox every day and almost gets hit by a car several times. And she whispers into Donnie's yeah. ear that everyone dies alone. Yeah. So that's another thing he's sort of wrestling with mm -hmm. when he's going to see Catherine Ross. Mm -hmm. He's also wrestling with his sexual feelings. And there's a funny <laughs> scene where she's hypnotized him. And then his hypnotized state, all he really wants to talk about is fucking. And like she brings up his family and he's like, I don't want to fuck my family. <laughs> and then he starts reaching into his, his pants. pants. It's, yeah, it's really uncomfortable. And Catherine Ross is like, you know wake up yeah. <laughs> he starts talking about um you know wanting to get with christina applegate and apparently i was I was reading some trivia and it had been Alyssa milano but they had to change it because of rights or something like that huh. so they had to change it to christina applegate well, that works too yeah christina yeah. applegate was pretty fine foxy mama at the time babelicious i mean she still is she's gorgeous but yeah she was a super babe kelly bundy yep yeah uh that's a really funny scene there's another a couple times when he's under hypnosis that are really funny uh, that always have stuck with me and it makes me giggle every time uh Catherine ross is asking him you know is talking about like a christmas or something and she's asking you know, why were you disappointed? Or did you, you know, he's like, I didn't get what I wanted. And she said, well, what did you want? And he was like, I'm hungry, hungry hippos. Yeah. And she's like, how did you feel when you didn't get these hungry, hungry hippos? And he's like, I felt regret. And it's just like, it's just to hear her say the hungry, hungry hippos. It's, it's really funny. There's some good comedy too yeah. that Jake Gyllenhaal delivers. There's a funny scene where he's out with his friends and they're drinking and shooting bottles in a field mm -hmm. and they're his friends who are kind of dim compared to him are talking about the smurfs and how they're all gang banging smurfette <laughs> or whatever and donnie goes on this rant about like how none of them have any penises and yeah. nobody's gang banging smurfette right and that she was because they they tried to say that uh papa smurf created smurfette so she could be like the sex slave to all the other smurfs and he just like snaps out and he's like first of all gargamel created smurfette you know and he just goes on this whole rant about it and it's it's pretty great it's pretty tarantino-y it feels like a tarantino moment especially from 90s tarantino yeah. yeah when he would have his little pop culture moments talking about madonna and like a virgin or yeah. whatever there's um a girl who i can only say english as a second language for her because she doesn't have a great vocabulary with these guys that are picking on her all the time and her name is Charita Chen all of the names are kind of like Donnie Darko and Charita Chen like even when Jenna Malone meets Donnie Darko she's like you know what's your name anyway or something and he says you know it's Donnie Darko and she's like you sound like a superhero or something like that he's like who says I'm not but they their names are kind of comic sounding a lot of the characters. Anyway, um, yeah, this poor girl is just, you know, the source of bullying by a lot of people. And all she can say is shut up. That kind of sounds like shut up mm -hmm. to them. And she's like, you know, wears her earmuffs a lot. And there's a scene that's it's just kind of sweet because Donnie stands up for her. Like he doesn't like 
bullying or, you know, picking on people that are different. And he tells her friend, his friends to leave her alone a couple of times. And then he just goes up to her at one point and puts his hands on her earmuffs. And he's like, one day, you know, this will all be behind you. And, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be things are going to be much better for you. So that was really sweet. But she doesn't know what to do with that. And so she like runs, says, shut up and runs away. And then when her books fall down, you can see she's been doodling his name because like throughout the film, she's like kind of always kind of around or kind of looking at him or whatever. And I don't know, it was just kind of sweet. It's implied that as weird and as troubled as Donnie is, that he is liked by the ladies. When Jenna Malone's character first comes into the school, she comes into Drew Barrymore's class and Drew Barrymore tells her to pick the seat closest to the boy she finds the cutest. Which is so uncomfortable. Right. That is not a good idea of something to do if you're a te- if you're a no. teacher. Do not do that. Drew Barrymore's really pushing things. She's a terrible teacher, I just have to say. And then she makes this girl get up that's sitting next to him. She's like, whatever, Susie, move it. Like, because yeah. there's not an open seat next to him. Yeah, I feel like it's sort of implied, too, that Drew Barrymore has a little bit of a thing for Donnie as well. I mean, she, that doesn't cross the line. No. But she favors him in a yeah. way. Well, I mean, I think she can tell he's different. And he's special, too. I mean, I think Noah Wiley's having the same experience. Because even at one point, he says Donnie Darko, and she's like, I know. There are those kids, you know, the teachers know are just different or way ahead of their years type thing. Because I feel like, yeah, I mean, as troubled as Donnie is, like, he has a pretty solid moral compass. The scene where he lashes out against Patrick Swayze's character at this assembly is just so great. Patrick uh, Swayze has this awful, what are those things called? Uh, tele- telecommercials or what are the... the um, infomercial. infomercial, that's what it is. He's And those actually, the infomercials, he actually did film at his actual home in in california at his ranch or whatever they filmed him there which was that was in the trivia but um yeah there's these god-awful you know like this kid like i was being bullied and then i realized my fear and i'm not afraid anymore they're just it's just like such a cringe fest so then then they have this like live assembly at school and these kids are getting up with like their problems and this girl gets up and she's like my sister eats too much ice cream and the sister's like shut up and this this. and then this other guy's like i don't know what i want to be when i grow up and then the other kid's like i'm being bullied so there's like these three like live scenarios happening again and donnie just is like tell your sister to stop eating chips and maybe join lacrosse or field hockey and he's like hey kid like no one knows what they want to be when they grow up it takes everyone a really long time to figure that out you're like exactly where you need to be and then he's like and you that's being bullied why don't you learn some karate and next time somebody picks on you kick them in the balls you know and it's just like yeah and then later on Donnie is going to break into Patrick Swayze's house. He goes to a showing of the Evil Dead with Jenna Malone, and he enters into this sort of fugue state where... Frank shows up. Frank shows up. It's a pretty famous Mm -hmm. scene. I always forget that they're seeing Evil Dead. I forget that they're seeing Evil Dead and that they're at the Arrow, which, I mean, they're, you know, they're technically in Virginia, so to speak, but they shot it at the Arrow, which was actually closed at the time. The Arrow hadn't reopened yet. Yeah, I feel like the interior of the movie theater is not the Arrow. That does not look like the Arrow. They definitely go to the outside of the Arrow. Outside for sure. And actually, also in the trivia, they were supposed to go see Chud. But they couldn't get the rights for that. So uh-huh. Sam Raimi stepped in and said, you can use the Evil Dead. So he kind of saved that. It's a pretty big deal because like the portal even opens up in the screen yep. while you're seeing the classic going to the yeah. cabin and everything. Linda's face and stuff. Pretty prominent. But Jenna Malone falls asleep for the whole movie and Donnie sneaks off to Patrick Swayze's house and trashes it and sets it on fire after the the firemen come and the police come to put out the fire they find all sorts of child pornography which donnie had called him the antichrist yep. he did he was and he was right like that's the thing is like donnie's not wrong i mean some of his actions may not be great but he's not he's not wrong about a lot of things another thing that i uh, appreciated was uh Drew Barrymore's character, again, when she gets fired and they tell her, you know, she can finish out the week. And then, you know, we cut to 
Well, first she goes outside and screams, fuck, which I, I totally feel that in my my soul that she needs to just get that out. And then, you know, we cut to and there's Charita over there just like watching her, like what's going on. Later, we cut to her in her classroom and Donnie's there and she's like packing up. She's got her box with her stuff and written on the board in um, very nice cursive is the word cellar door. And Donnie asks her, like, what is the word cellar door? And she says that a famous linguist once said that of all the phrases in the English language, of all the endless combinations of words in all history, that cellar door is the most beautiful. In the commentary, Richard Kelly attributed that to Edgar Allan Poe. However, it's actually J.R.R. Tolkien that said it. Mm. And I thought that would be of interest to you because you're a giant Lord of the Rings nerd. I am, yeah. Yeah, he had um, said that most English-speaking people will admit that cellar door is beautiful, especially if dissociated from its sense and from its spelling. More beautiful than, say, sky and far more beautiful than beautiful. And interestingly, Lord of the Rings includes a country called Eridor. Is that pronounced correctly? I believe so, yeah. E-R-I-A-D-O-R. And an elf nobleman named Celeborn, which both sound similar to Cellardor. I feel like that's a little bit of a cheat because Cellardor is two words. It's a combination of two words. To say it's more beautiful than the word sky, well, the word sky is just one word. I do think Cellardor is a very nice sounding combination of words i agree well you need to take it up with tolkien because that was from his essay his 1955 essay english and welsh well he was a linguistics professor Mm -hmm. so he knew his shit uh so i wouldn't argue with him also he's dead so can't argue with him no you definitely can't but maybe when i get to heaven when you get to heaven i want you to have some words with him i'm gonna say professor tolkien cellar doors two words (laughs) so to say it's the most beautiful word is not accurate. Hmm. Well, and then in this film, it's coming into play because at the end, you know, they're having this party because his sister gets into Harvard. The dad is out of town and the mom has to take the sister's dance troupe to be on Star Search. So they're going to L.A. So the older siblings are home by themselves. And, and once Elizabeth finds out she's going to Harvard, Donnie's like, well, we should throw a party. And of course, he's, she's like, yeah, we'll make it small. And then cut to it's like a total rager. It's not small. And then, then we get some really good music here. This is when we get Level Terrace Apart and we get Under the Milky Way. Under the Milky Way. And we're getting lots of portals coming out of people and stuff at this point. But Donnie all of a sudden like has to go to uh, Roberta Sparrow's house. And when they get there, I mean, this is all just kind of like, <laughs> it's all just kind of messy at this point, but he sees like, he's like cellar door, you know, and it's like a cellar door into her house or something like, <laughs> I gotta say <laughs> this end is clunky. This is clunky. Yeah. Shit. Yeah. Like the reason for him going to Roberta Sparrow's Sparrow's mm-hmm. place he just decides he has to do it. Yeah. His friends just decide to go along with right. him. And then, yeah, he does something in her house. I don't know. They go in through the cellar door. Right. They go in through the cellar door and like they get in there and then Seth Rogen and his like buddy like attack them. Right. They're in the basement already. I Presumably they're there to rob, rob her, her. I guess because it's rumored that she has gems or a lot oh, of money that right. Donnie Darko's dad had said that earlier. No, the mom. Or the mom had said that. She's, she's like, she's, she's loaded, loaded yeah. as she's like drinking her wine. Yeah. And then like, why is Frank going all the way? I mean, it's, it's, it seems like this woman lives out in the middle of nowhere and Frank went to go get beer. Yes. Like it's written on the sign on the fridge. And this is the first time we actually hear other people speaking of Frank. So Frank is a real person. Like his sister's like, where's Frank? And they're like, oh, he went to get beer. So like Frank like shows up after things get terrible with Seth Rogen and his bully buddy. And they like toss Jenna Malone out into the road like because he's going to hit. Well, because he's going to hit Grandma Death. Right. Like, so he swerves to miss her. And then literally like we see him run right over her. Like every time I'm like, Ugh. Grandma Death was already on her way out. She was a real problem. Yeah. Like <laughs> spare Jenna Malone. Just run over Grandma Death. She's had her time. Jenna Malone's like whole story is just like kind of sad and heavy for the film. If Like Jenna Malone and her mom are on the run because her stepdad 
stabbed her mom like four times in the chest and like fled. So the she's like, yeah, my mom and I had to move and we've changed our names. I thought Gretchen Ross sounded good, you know, so it's not even her name. And it's just like she, it, she shows up at Donnie's party because she's like, my mom is missing and the house is completely like turned upside down and the police just told me to go somewhere safe. And I'm like, poor Jenna Malone is dealing with some real life heavy shit. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> feel like all of this works too well yeah honestly. i don't know if we needed all that it's too much yeah it just feels like a bunch of stuff heaped on to give her this tragic backstory for some reason and she, well, and she also says like something like some people are just meant for tragedy and then she's like run over like not even a, an hour or so later yeah she because she says that to Donnie, like when he's she's telling him about what's happened to her mom. It's just sort of hammering in the point of like, yeah, like you said, that line is sort of summing up her character that yeah. some people are destined for tragedy, yeah. which Donnie, we know, is a destined for tragedy as well. So I think we're just supposed to see them as sort of kindred spirits because they both have these tragic lives. I think it would mean more if for some reason... When the loop closes and Donnie goes back to where he should be and dies, like if her life was somehow improved, I mean, obviously she's, she's alive, alive again because well, <laughs> everything's reset yeah, back right, to that, that moment. Day. Yeah. But, you know, she comes by with her bike and she sees the wreckage of the house and she sees Donnie's family all sort of shell shocked outside the house and and she stops this little kid that's out there and asks what happened and he's like oh my neighbor died it's horrible the engine fell on him and she's like what's your neighbor's name and he's like donnie darko the kid says did you know him and he, she's like no and then like she sees the mom and they like have this weird wave at each other and the end and the kid kind of waves too and that's it but you know we're also getting the the montage of like Everybody else coming back to this day and we're seeing Frank. I should back up because there's a couple times where, you know, Donnie's seeing Frank in the mirror and it's like in this other realm. There's one time in particular he takes like a knife and starts stabbing the mirror and ends up damaging his eye, Frank's eye. Because then when they're at the movie theater and he takes his, he's like, why are you wearing a bunny suit? And he's like, a stupid bunny suit. And Frank's like, why are you wearing a stupid man suit or whatever, you know? That's the first time we see him take the um, head of the costume off and see that it's... James Duvall. James Duvall. And we see that his eye's been damaged. And then that's where Donnie ends up shooting him. Later, after he runs over Jenna Malone, shoots him right in the eye. Good shot, Donnie Darko, by the way. And so then at the end, when everything has been reset and Donnie has died as he should have, and we're getting the Gary Jules mad world, we get like Frank in his room, like with drawings of the bunny. And, you know, he's like kind of rubbing his eye. I guess it's the it bears the question of time travel and if you have some sort of remnants of where you've been. Yeah, that's what I think it's implying yeah. is that everybody's sort of having this strange false memory yeah. of something that's not even going to happen. Right. Like Patrick Swayze's crying because I think he's either one or two things. I was thinking like he's having severe guilt because he is into kitty porn for real or he's just like having this sort of memory of you know, being persecuted for this and his house burning down and everything. Well, I also think it's just to show that he's a person that like is fearful and yeah. all his talk all of about, his talk about fear. Yeah, he's waking up in a cold sweat <laughs> every morning. <laughs> well, when you're a creep, that happens. The last thing we should talk about, though, is sparkle motion. Oh, because it's the best. So Donnie's little sister... <laughs> Uh, Samantha, Samantha. Mm -hmm. who will get a sequel, mm -hmm. S. Darko, That's three right. years later, that Richard Kelly had nothing to do with, disowned it. It's terrible, but there's a weird sequel to Donnie Darko out there that focuses on her. She is part of this dance troupe that Kitty Farmer is running, Sparkle Motion, and there is a talent show mm -hmm. at the school. I think this is also running concurrently with Donnie breaking into Patrick Swayze's house and stuff. But they have this talent show. Almost everybody else is there. We see poor... Charita. Charita perform a, like, solo 
dance. Kind of modern interpretive dance called Autumn Angels. Yeah, and everybody's yelling like, get off the stage or whatever. Yeah. But then Sparkle Motion takes the stage and it's just a troop of little girls, but wearing these ridiculous sort of silver outfits doing a choreographed dance to Notorious by Duran Duran. It's a great scene. It's really funny. The audience, of course, loves them because they're just, because they're great. Yeah, and it's spot on because I lived that life. I mean, I was a little older than the Sparkle Motion girls at this point, but you kicked it back a few years in the 80s. I've seen those costumes. I know those choreographed routines. I didn't have one to Notorious, but my friend Heidi and I had a great routine to the reflex. That's close. <laughs> but yeah, this was like such a like time capsule of the 80s of young girls doing jazz or dance or whatever. Like this is this the outfits, the whole thing. It's it's really spot on. It's great. Well, we're not parents, so we don't know for sure. But I got to imagine this stuff is still going on, right? I'm sure it is on some level, probably even like even more extreme now, I would guess. More salacious and, I don't know, just and wearing like, scantily clad uh, I hope not. little girls. I mean, in this case, they're they're dressed. No, it's fine. It's just very 80s. Is yeah. what, no, it's just like a lot of sequins and, you know. But the moves they're doing are sort of provocative. Yeah, and... but that's that's how it was done. Yeah. I mean, think about um, Little Miss Sunshine, you know, like that whole routine to Super Freak or whatever. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's that's it's just such a thing. And they, they really do nail that. And also Kitty Farmer's famous line that makes me laugh out loud every time is when she comes to the Darko household because she's got to show up for Patrick Swayze's arraignment because he's being held under these to these false charges. And mom Darko is just in the catbird seat, as I like to say, because she's been dealing with Kitty's bullshit for a while now. And Kitty even says like, and it's not even that I think you're the best. I've asked all the other moms and no one else could do it. You know, <laughs> so then she's like, I don't know, Kitty. And she's like, I'm really doubting your commitment to sparkle motion. It's just so. Mwah. The connective tissue between all these things is absurd. Absurd in a good way because it's sort of comedically absurd. But I mean, it you know, it makes no sense that kitty would have to go to patrick swayze's arraignment like what's she gonna do i know well she's like also just so like obsessed with him she doesn't have to go she wants to go because this is like her guy well i'm saying i doubt her commitment to sparkle motion then this dude just got (laughs) busted with kitty porn and you're gonna blow off your girls in sparkle motion they're going to see ed mcmahon for star search going on friggin star search Well, here comes the million-dollar question. Why do you think this failed? I don't remember the marketing for this. I mean, I I know what you're talking about with, like, seeing the picture in in the movie theater with Frank the Bunny. Just that alone is, like, what the hell's going on here, but not enough of what the hell's going on here. I need to go check it out. Maybe because there weren't big enough names attached to it as well to to maybe get people into the theater it's a lot i mean i I think this is a hard movie to sell i don't know how you sell it i mean it has to find its audience and and the people who love it love it like people are really into it and that's why it's become a cult classic but how do you how do you get people in to see this I, i can't even imagine i don't remember seeing trailers for it but i'm just wondering like how this would work as a trailer even i have a little insight into that okay this was released soon after September 11th, mm. and they got skittish on the marketing because the a plane. plane crash plays such a heavy part in the movie. Yep. So I think that the studio kind of backed off on the marketing. I mean, I think you're also speaking to a larger problem, which is that how do you market this weird friggin' movie? Right. But that seems to have been a factor in that they were just like, oh, 9-11. There were a lot of movies that suffered in the wake of 9-11 because of things that happened in the movie that just was bad timing. But I also think, like you said, like, how the hell do you market this movie? I think what it really comes down to is that this is a strange movie. And I think Richard Kelly is a mind that really 
can't make something that would be mainstream and focused enough to be a crossover hit. We're going to see it happen to him like three more times. Southland Tales is a huge disaster, and that was a bomb. And The Box was a huge bomb. He just doesn't have it in him, I think, to be a mainstream narrative filmmaker. You know, he's kind of trying to be almost a David Lynch type of filmmaker, I think. And I think that he managed to capture lightning in a bottle with this movie. This movie should not work. It should not work. You look at all these pieces and you're like, how do they fit together? They barely do, but somehow they do in a such an interesting and funny and creepy and weird and intriguing way. All of these disparate elements just manage to work. And this is just the kind of movie that really only comes along once in a blue moon. And I feel like you have to be a real genius level director to do this more than once. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And it's been proven he can't do it again. But he really did it with this one. He really did it with this one. And that is why it is a cult classic. But I also think that just on a sort of DNA level, there was no way this was ever going to be a mainstream hit. This was always destined, like Donnie, to be what it is, which is a cult classic film. All right, well, I'm going to go put on my bunny suit and get in my time portal, and I'm going to doubt your commitment to Sparkle Motion. <gasps> That about does it today for Tentpole Trauma. If you like what you heard, check out our social media presence on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Just look for Tentpole Trauma. That was easy, wasn't it? If you like us, hit subscribe and leave us a sterling review on iTunes, if you dare. If you really like us, head over to Patreon.com and get involved in one of our fabulous tiers. You'll be glad you did. Want to communicate with Tentpole Trauma? Send an email to tentpoletrauma at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And who knows, one day you may even get your email read on one of our shows. Well, thanks for listening, and we'll see you real soon.